Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. We are highlighting adaptations from Season 9 over at our Originals page, thenextreel.com slash originals. That's the site where listeners can purchase the source material for all of our adapted film discussions. We had a big Robin Hood series this season, looking at nine different versions on screen. Many were likely adapted from Howard Pyle's The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood, including Douglas Fairbanks in Robin Hood, The Adventures of Robin Hood, Disney's Robin Hood, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, and the 1991 Robin Hood, and Ridley Scott's Robin Hood. Robin and Marion was specifically based on the ballad, The Jest of Robin Hood. And we really don't have too much to say about Robin and the Seven Hoods. We talked Dead Ringers for our David Cronenberg series adapted from Barry Wood and Jack Geisland's novel, Twins. Have you checked out that show? You know, I haven't, but I've heard great things. Two comedies from our Steve Martin series were adaptations, Pennies from Heaven from the BBC series, and The Lonely Guy from the book by Bruce J. Friedman. The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas was part of our Colin Higgins series, adapted from the Broadway musical. Spike Lee brought us Black Klansman from Ron Stallworth's memoir. And we looked at a trio of John Le Carey adaptations, The Spy Who Came In From the Cold, The Little Drummer Girl, and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Plus, all three movies in our Agnieszka Holland series were based on books, Europa Europa, In Darkness, and Spore. La Caja Fall and its remake, The Birdcage, both came from Jean Poiré's original play. We also talked about Arsenic and Old Lace and Charade in our Gary Grant series. All of these were based on other material, and it is all available on our Originals page, thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book purchased supports the podcast. Get the full list of adaptations we've covered and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash originals.
Hello! From the Next Reels Film Board, this is Tommy Hansom with an important announcement. The following podcast includes movie audio clips that contain unbleeped profanity. Such profanity may include Damn, Hell, Nuts, Butterfuck, McGee, Doodle, Captain Fuck, and Toot Toot, here comes the diarrhea parade. Listening discretion is advised. Hello, all. This mediation is here to help facilitate your divorce. You will all be civilized, and you will please address all speech to me, to you. So even if we want to talk to one another, we can't. I mean, if I wanted to say, Dina, I am going to have a beautiful life with your husband. Dina. I can't believe you brought her. I can't believe you brought Christine. I can't believe you shacked up with a bitch. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Life of the party is over, and we're down to clown. 23 years of marriage just down the tubes. What am I going to do? I'm a 40-something-year-old woman that doesn't even have her degree. Oh, my God. Hmm. I know what I'm going to do. Let me see you I don't regret staying at home and being your mom, but I regret not getting my degree. That's why somebody's mom just enrolled in college. Beep. Beep, beep, it's me. Okay, Andy, we're taking our kids to college. That's what we're doing. <laughs> and going with I... them. <laughs> now, this is, we are continuing our Guilty Pleasure series, which, uh, if I had my way about it, would be the entirety of the rest of this year. <laughs> You're, you have a lot of guilt to work through, clearly. <laughs> I do. I do. And so I think that it's important because last week we did Hudson Hawk. That was mine. And I feel like uh, you made me go first. And so this week I feel like you should go first. Uh, and, <sighs> and in defense of, uh, uh, the our movie for this evening, Life of the Party, Pete. Ah, what yeah. joy I find in this movie. <laughs> you know, I, I people who follow along or are a part of our Discord group, you know, they they get a, a a vibe of the different movie challenges I put forth for myself from time to time because I'm always yes. doing one or another or multiple at a time. I, I think probably too many times is really the reality of what's going on. <laughs> well, one of those was going through Melissa McCarthy's uh, filmography and watching all of the films that she had been in because I really enjoy her on-screen presence. I think that she can be really funny. I think she can be incredibly uh, honest and earnest. I think she knows how to have a lot of fun. She's not afraid to get a little raunchy and uh, be a little over the top. And uh, I have always loved that about her. But she's also, I just love that she also has such like an honestness to her with everything. And whether it's something big and crazy like these sorts of films or the smaller sorts of films that she does like St. Vincent. Um, I think there's balance that she can find like when she's working on shows like uh, Gilmore Girls, things like that. And I really enjoy just her presence. I just find her to be such a joy to watch in whatever she's doing. There are plenty of bad movies, though, I will say, that I sat through watching through her entire filmography. And well, it, it, give me give me a sense. I don't I'm sorry to interrupt, but I need a sense uh, so that I know where the baseline is for you compared to Life of the Party. Give me a bad one that is just a, by your measure 
subjectively, but, you know, we could say critically, objectively bad of Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, certainly. I, um, uh, you know, I keep track of all of them. I ranked them all on a letterbox yeah. list as I was going through. So if you give me a minute, I'll pull up my list and I can tell Take you. Take your time. This is awesome podcast. We can, we can edit this all out. That's what's great mm-hmm. about it. And I should say, I have not read your letterbox review of this. I assume you've done it because of your series. I did before. I did not on my most recent. I left it blank and then I will fill it in when the time comes, when the show goes okay. live. All right. All right. Melissa McCarthy Marathon. Um, this one's not at the top of the uh, 29 films of hers that I've seen. Um, 20? <laughs> what? Yeah. 29 films. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Now, be aware, okay. some of those are films like The Life of David Gale, White Oleander, where she has a very small bit part but I still okay. watch them all, right. all. But you're a purist. I'm a purist. I, I watch them all, yes. Um, it, this was, it's definitely in my top five. The very bottom five uh, from uh, position 25 going Is down. Happy Time Murders? No, it, it's in the bottom five, yes. Uh, okay. The Backup Plan, the, uh, the J-Lo film, she did have okay. a, a fairly funny bit part in that. The Happy Time Murders is spot 26. The Hangover Part 3, spot 27. Pumpkin, spot 28. And The Boss. Spot 29. Which one? Wait, which one was the boss who was in that one? The trailer had all the funny bits. That's where she is like, uh, here's the here's the little uh, synopsis. A titan of industry is sent to prison after she's caught for insider training. W- trading. When she emerges ready to rebrand herself as America's latest sweetheart, not everyone she screwed over is so quick to forgive and forget. And this is where she ends up um, staying with somebody that she worked with and then becoming like, her daughter's dead mother for this, her like girl right. scout group sort of thing this was the Kristen bell yes uh, movie right? right that that's yeah okay yeah. that was unfortunate all right yeah. i haven't seen it but okay don't bother just watch the trailer again because that had funny bits the rest well of the stay movie. stay tuned andy stay tuned oh okay. oh good all right here we go mm-hmm. so this film life of the party this one um i did not end up watching this one in theaters but i I, when I rented this one, uh, it just it had all of the the best bits of Melissa McCarthy that I just think that make her just work so well on screen and in film. It, she she has just this honest sense about her character. She's very pure. She just is very um, uh, full of heart, and she also can be a little. Uh, vulgar at times, and which I just I thought was really fun in context of this film. Going back to college with her daughter, and I, it just I, I don't know. I guess it 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 had a lot of jokes that just worked really well for me in context of everything going on. It's not like a story we haven't seen before. I mean, if you look at stuff like Back to School or things like that, where, you know, a parent goes back to college to get that degree they always wanted. It's another one of those films. But it just, it it had a lot of heart, and they have a lot of fun with it. Is it perfect? No. It's not rated very highly on IMDb. Uh, you know, it ends up kind of falling below the point where, um, where I guess we would call it uh, a... Uh, well, I mean, you usually have your six star rule when it comes to IMDb, right? Right. right and right. so when I was looking for guilty pleasures, I'm like, well, it needs to have at least, you know, a, a, a star rating on IMDb below six stars. That was kind of my cutoff for guilty pleasures. 
that I rated fairly high. So Life of the Party, 5.6. And uh, I mean, that's not the lowest of scores, but you know, clearly en- enough people didn't like it. And um, But I sure found it a lot of fun. So Matt Brunson at Film Frenzy says, Life of the Party is trite, derivative, and simply stupid. Yes, it, it's, it's nice to see McCarthy <laughs> and Falcone giving this that old college try and almost pulling it off. Uh, uh, Cultured Vultures says, Life of the Party comes with good concept, but weak script and cheap gags. Uh, uh, Jude Dry over at IndieWire says, Life of the Party is proof that even the funniest actors need good material, which makes it all the more disappointing that McCarthy wrote the script with director Ben Falcone, who's also her husband. Uh, Life of the Party doesn't live up to either of the nouns in its title, says Christopher Orr with a <laughs> witty, witty retort to this film from The Atlantic. Uh, and uh, Peter Travers over the Rolling Stone. Uh, Melissa McCarthy is comedy royalty. It's scientific fact. Look it up. But even the bridesmaid star can't keep this mom goes to college fluff ball from, from flatlining. From the critical consensus, I think this absolutely qualifies as a uh, as a guilty pleasure. The tomato meter at Rotten Tomatoes says that it's a thirty nine percent. It's a it's a splat. Uh, audience score is also thirty nine percent. So. I think you win that this is a guilty pleasure. And I, I go through all of that because I know that you were fully wrought by this I decision was. this year. <laughs> so I want to set you at ease. You won, man. This was this was a great pick. It's, on a, that it's score okay alone. to feel guilty. It is okay. You've done it. I think it's fascinating. These... Um, uh, back to these reverse coming of age stories, right? These these grownups go back to school that we are. Why do we as adults continue to fantasize and find these things so delightful? Uh, these kinds of films, the adults is a fish out of water story going back to back to college. And it's not like, you know, this is uh, new territory, as you said. I mean, I started researching this thing going back to to Bing Crosby in High Time, which is a, a movie I had not seen prior to this. But he was 51 years old, the character, 51 years old, going back to college in High Time in 19 uh, in the early 60s. Uh, and that was before Dangerfield obviously did it in what has become the gold standard in Back to School. Uh, Billy Madison did it. Uh, I For me, my favorite movie to date, uh, in this kind of category of of adults go back to school kind of thing is old school. Uh, I I've always found that McKay film has been has really tickled me in just all the right ways, um, and that I I think uh, it is why Life of the Party was such a surprise for me uh, because I've always been one who likes the sort of ribald comedy of old school. Uh, one that is just sort of a, a little bit pushing the the boundaries a little bit harder in terms of the, I guess, the sleaze factor. Does that make me dirty? <laughs> so I wish my films were more sleazy. But but here's the thing, Andy, I was seriously delighted by this movie. Yay! I was so charmed. And let me tell you a little bit about my day. I At about three o'clock, I started uh, on the YouTube train and I have watched 
every appearance of Melissa McCarthy on the Ellen DeGeneres show over her extensive <laughs> 20 appearances on the Ellen wow. DeGeneres. Did, did I see the one where Billie Eilish popped out of a box and had been sitting in that box for like two hours waiting for the segment so she could surprise? Yes, I saw that segment. It was amazing. Wow. Uh, I, I've seen them all. And I have to tell you, not only was I delighted by this movie, I think I'm in love with Melissa McCarthy, which is deeply unsettling. <laughs> She's amazing. I may just want to marry both her and Ben Falcone. There you go. Uh, so I, you have me, you, you brought me a pick that has absolutely swayed me. I didn't see this and I didn't think I was too into Melissa McCarthy movies. Ghostbusters was funny. It, I, I liked her in it, uh, but it, um, it, it didn't, touch me like this one did i found i found her performance here uh, maybe it's just the right day maybe it's the right time i watched it with my kids and they were howling can howling. i tell you every time that we watch this the kids and my wife and i we will re-watch the the two scenes back to back of deanna being initiated into the sorority <laughs> with the spanking which i about ex- explode Are you still laughing spanking me? i feel like i'm still being spanked <laughs> that followed by the scene where she has to give her presentation in her class and she's dabbing her face with the tissues and she gets chunks all over and she just keeps going Oh, those two scenes, like right there, like yes. oh, the kids and I will watch it over and over and we're all rolling on the floor. It is so stinking funny. I just I love it. I to that point, Andy, and I think this is this is really important about this movie that uh, for me is that it is back. It is a back to school movie that doesn't truck in the dumb sleaze. Right? right. And it is a movie that allows me to actually sit back and watch it with my kids and to have fun with the the mother daughter experience and the weird divorce experience. And the I mean, I, I I think all of these elements are not amped up to 11 on the sleaze scale such that it makes it a a a, a wider um, uh, it allows it to reach a wider audience. And I think that's really touching for a movie like this. And it and. Um, so I was I was really pleased. I, I also think that McCarthy is playing a, a bit of a she's playing a character here. Right. I mean, the way she talks about it, she's playing a character that is based off of her mother. Um, and so it's super innocent, but super um, positive, uh, well-meaning, well-intentioned uh, and less slapstick. Uh, so it, it was sort of less. I, I guess I'm comparing it to Ghostbusters, and but but she wasn't very slapstick in Ghostbusters either. But certainly closer to Saint Vincent than um, you know than some of the other uh, harder comedies. I and I think a lot of that does come from, like you said, it's that it's just that sense, that positive sense that she always has. You know, where she's walking around campus and she's she might be aware that she doesn't quite fit in, but. She's it doesn't stop her from going, oh, you just got hit by school spirit. You know, she she kind of keeps it up and and makes for this character that that ends up coming across where it's not falling into kind of the place where the sleaze is. Because, I mean, it, this is PG-13. You know, we definitely have college parties. She definitely is sleeping with a with one of the kids at school here. Uh, that's delightful. And, oh, and, and there's a lot of there is stuff in here that that could very easily fall into much sleazier your territory and she's done sleazier 
you know, projects too. And she, she certainly doesn't shy away from that. Right. But what makes this film work so well for me is the fact that it's like writing that line. Like we have her talking about her Google. you know, she's, there are those moments here, but it's done in such a kind of a, a caring, honest way about, you know, being there for her daughter and everything where it just, it feels so much uh, like a little more pure. And I, I really like that about this film. Well, I think this, the the movie does not stoop to treating her like an embarrassment. And I think that is something that uh, she has done before, right? Uh, leveraging jokes about weight and the non-stereotypical body and, and all of that, which is just sort of tiresome, right? I, I just am not, I'm not a fan of that. And at no point was she the brunt of the joke, even in a, uh, a a situation where it would have been super easy. And I think that's one of the criticisms of Falcone, too, is that sometimes he takes the easy route uh, and makes the easy joke the, the, the funny thing. And in this case, it would have been super easy to make her the brunt of a joke uh, on campus, right? The the mom goes back to school. We get a couple of, of fun jives, which I think she handles them very well. She doesn't become like beaten down by the embarrassment of her being on campus. We this movie does not wallow in the the mom is embarrassing the daughter, right? If anything, one of the that that is an element that's that's keenly subverted in this movie, where the daughter ends up getting embarrassed by how well the mom fits in and is able to join the sorority. And I mean, that's rich stuff, man. I think that is a that's a a great uh, way to turn the this movie and that again that well trod territory on its head. And I, I thought it was I thought it was delightful. To that point, I think that the the element that allows for more of the mother daughter relationship to um, to potentially have a bigger kind of moment of embarrassment. It's one area where I always feel the the film does fall a little flat and it it frustrates me. It's when uh Dee Dee, Deanna, D Rock, however we want to call her. Yeah. She um she and the other sorority sisters are feeling very bitter about the fact that that uh Deanna's ex husband is getting married. And so they decide, you know, as they're all kind of hopped up on on pot filled brownies that they're going to go kind of crash the wedding just to see how it is. And then they end up basically kind of trashing the whole place that it's I think it's one of those moments where you're you're, you know, as an audience member, you're like, no, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. They do it. They trash the place. They get busted by her ex and 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 her daughter and that is for me the moment that should have carried more weight in the film unfortunately like it it carries weight in that particular moment but then the film doesn't really come back to it in any strong way it's not it doesn't become a point that that has uh kind of a moment for the daughter and mother to have to find a strong way to reconnect and all that it's it's they get through it pretty quickly. And, you know, if there is one area I wish that they had spent a little more time on, that would be the area. Well, I, I would like to talk a little bit more about that, specifically because I think, you know, I have it in my tropes corner. Mm. Um section nice. you know, when you look at when you look at a movie like this we've got to talk about the tropes and and that is certainly one of them the slow motion destruction scene yeah right uh, and and but for me 
uh, one, I agree with you because you're brilliant, but <laughs> I, I agree with you because, um, you know, I, I wanted it to have more weight. I didn't have a problem with the scene itself at all. I mean, I thought it was funny and they destroyed stuff and the cake tastes so good. And there were some funny bits that the girls got to do. Um, it, but the, uh, the, the challenge that I, uh, I had with it is that it it became just a tool to get to the party at the end, right? It was like, oh, you know, we're we're only using this as a way to withdraw money, withdraw funding, exactly. no more money for you, and that was just such a uh, a quick turn for me. Like I felt like there were no consequences uh, for her to do that. How did if she's if she's cut off? How are they paying for that? How did that? Like I wanted, I I needed her to feel a little bit more to demonstrate a little bit more pain. Yeah. And and instead it it was just an entree to the Christina Aguilera bit which I feel like my opinion on this is going to be wildly hypocritical. And so I'll just <laughs> say that first. Um maybe I should ask you first. What what do you think of the climax of this movie dropping the Christina Aguilera bit? She she shows up as she turns out she's the cousin of the dark roommate and she shows up at the party because they lied on Twitter and said that she was coming to the big party. OK, you know, it's one of those moments by that point in the film. I, I, I think it's a bit of a stretch, but I find myself forgiving it because I find it to just be done in a way that's enjoyable and it's easy to kind of go along with. Is it is it perfect? Is it well written? Maybe not, but I I'm easy on that bit. I is it well written? Categorically, no. I think that <laughs> this is an example of Ben Falcone and Melissa McCarthy at their worst on on in, in terms of writing the script because this was the easiest of the easy way outs to to it felt much more it like turned into like a disney movie oh we're gonna move into song and it's gonna be christina aguilera and she's gonna come in it's gonna be a huge surprise and she's gonna sing a song now i say all that being critical of that sequence at the end and i'm still the guy who really loves the way hudson hawk ends airbags in the back seat can you <laughs> believe it this is the airbags in the back seat can you effing believe it yeah, scene right. yeah. and i'm so i know i know that i just i didn't care for it with christina i love it with danny what are you going to do uh, i'm I, I have to live with that no it's in it it told i totally agree with you and it is one of those things where if you're going to buy into it you're going to buy into it and and by this point in the film i'm so easy on it because i enjoyed it and this is coming right after my issues with the way that the the uh, destruction of the wedding, uh, uh, the cake and the room, how that doesn't work for me going into this, which, you know, like you just pointed out, the only reason that they do all that is to get us to this place. It, it You know, it's it's kind of sloppy the way that it's constructed right through here. But I still just enjoy it. And I think it's just I, I enjoy the way that Christina comes in and it just is so convenient and it just it doesn't make any sense. But I'm just like I, I'm in it because I'm having fun. If anything, it earns uh, Heidi Gardner, who plays Lenore, the, the purported cousin of of Christina Aguilera in this universe, the life of the party cinematic universe. Uh, she uh, one of the many talk shows I watched today Um uh, she was uh, doing a, a bit with Debbie Ryan. The interviewer said, so are you are you friends with with Christina? And Debbie Ryan says, oh, no, I'm Debbie Ryan and she's Christina Aguilera. Like I <laughs> I am. A great, and and uh, in, in what I have to say is every bit her Lenore droll. Uh, Heidi Gardner says, 
yes. Yes, I think we are friends. It <laughs> <laughs> was like, for me, I laughed out loud at that interview because the interviewer was just struck silent. He was like, oh, oh, now I'm talking to one of Christina's friends. <laughs> uh, so I, I think, you know, it's fine. It was fine. They got a musical number at the end and it was, yeah. it's, it's exactly fine. But that's where for me in my ultimate review, I could feel the stars getting whittling, being whittled off this as, as one of the great comedies. It comes off the rails at the end in a way that didn't feel redemptive uh, to, um, to the story and it didn't demonstrate the consequences that I think we needed to see um, you know, right. for what they ultimately did. Now, in terms of the tropes, can we just run through some tropes and see if I missed any? Let's do it. All right. The makeover and reveal trope. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we have her, she goes in as a mom with all of the smocks. She's wearing a bedazzled smock and she has the bows in her hair and everything's buttoned up tight and her daughter takes her into the bathroom, strips her down a little bit, shows her bosom, and <laughs> brushes her hair with a disease-infested uh, a fraternity brush. And she comes out as a, uh, as a much more relaxed campus citizen. What'd you think? What'd you think of that? Very tropey. Very, it's, Very it's, tropey. It's, it's not even just this type of college movies. I mean, this is something that is done in all sorts Every of movies, movie. yeah. It's yes, like the, it's all over the, the place. The uptight person gets gets the makeover, and they're a little more relaxed. The you know the the nerdy person gets a makeover. You know, it just it's so tropey, but uh, it I don't know. I find it very fun here because she is such a kind of a, a dork. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. And and I think it works. And I actually like, you know, the, the thing that turns this trope on its ear. OK, it's not the the daughter to the mother. It's the mother or it's, or it's not the mother to the daughter. It's the daughter to the mother. And uh, I, I like this because this is a sequence that allows the daughter, Maddie, to overcome her her own issues having her mother there and to kind of embrace the fact that her mom is now on campus and and I think it's it gives us a chance for that relationship turning point to sort of blossom and I think it it turns out great plus she comes out looking great who are you kidding she's that's a it's a good change yeah it totally is yeah and and she still has enough of her nerdiness kind of the dorky mom vibe but she's very relaxed now and seems to be having a little more fun uh we go to the college party we're in the college days. I guess this, this is the same college party, and we have to talk about the booze. And so here we get the, um, I don't know. I, I don't know how tropey this is, but it's the fish out of water, uh, non-campus citizen coming up to the uh, the bar and asking <laughs> for wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it, there are a couple of things I, I like about this scene in particular, and and I think... I think one that I don't. First, we meet Jack, and I think Jack is is a fantastic character. Um, I, I think he's a fantastic character, and he makes for a bit of a red herring because uh, Jack is uh, he's played by Luke Benward. He is a super handsome uh, college student, and he meets uh, Deanna and is immediately smitten with her. This, again, is another opportunity for the movie to show conflict by... Uh, having something happen or having uh, Deanna's character uh, somehow mistake his intentions, somehow making her the brunt of a joke. But this is legitimately, this guy is smitten with her. And 
the sequences of them hooking up, hooking up in the stacks, having sex in the stacks. <laughs> they don't act, you know, show that sex, but they show. I mean, it is hysterical. And when he turns around and says, oh, "I think you're my sexual Dumbledore." <laughs> I, Andy, I had to stop the movie. I had to stop. <laughs> I had to stop the movie. I was laughing so hard. I couldn't I couldn't stand it also because my kids are so connected to Harry Potter and that 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 joke was gangbusters in my house. I mean, we were hyperventilating. So uh, I think that gives us a great opportunity for an authentic relationship. It actually weirdly, it weirdly played out just right. And it starts at the bar in the boozy scene as he uh, tells her that they don't actually have a Chardonnay, but they do have some wine in a box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. And I mean, just the Dumbledore comment also, just her reaction to that, just like, yeah. That no, that doesn't work. Not a don't, not a good time. Don't compare don't, the, man woman. With the old man with a beard, <laughs> grizzled old man with a beard. <laughs> but it was um, nice try, nice try. Nice no, try. It's great. And plus, I mean, I, I know this is stepping outside of the trope, but I thought it was very fun construction of the story to then have him be uh, her ex husband's <laughs> new, wife's new wife's son that yes. they none of them realize until of course the the moment when they're all in the same room together which was oh, very delicious fun. very fun. delicious yes um so back to the boozy bit the other thing that we get in this uh, in this meeting is Jimmy O Yang and Jimmy O Yang is uh, to me he's he's one of those up and coming iconic comedians he's a very funny guy and uh, i have a i i think well, I guess two things. One, they gave him the relationship with Maddie. So the daughter and Jimmy O. Yang's character, Tyler, are in a relationship together. And it's deeply underplayed. To have a relationship there, ultimately, we didn't need it. It was a distraction. It, he could have been anybody. And in that regard, this movie wildly underuses his talents as a comedian. I mean, wildly. So I call this a, a, a tragic miscast that he was even in this movie. If you're not going to use him for what he's good for, don't use him at all. Let him go do something else. I mean, I know, you know, actors got to work and I, there's it's a complex tapestry. But uh, for me, I needed more Yang or less Yang. But what I got was was middling Yang. And that was... That was not well, and not uh, you know I'm unfamiliar with the actor because I mean I've never seen Silicon Valley, so that's that's primarily where he is. I mean he was on like six seasons of that show, so yes, and he has a great stand up tour. I mean he's just a very funny guy, right? And uh, yeah. and he's appeared in a number of films, and um, but it's it's funny because like I never really I I don't know if I've ever really thought anything of him because I've seen so little of him. So for me, it really didn't phase me that there was nothing there. But knowing that he is an actor who uh, has a much bigger presence outside of this film, I I completely agree that they really uh, misused him in the casting of this film. And I can't help, it, it makes me wonder if there were scenes that were cut out of the script at some point that developed the rela relationship more or had just more scenes between uh, Maddie and him that allowed for kind of a, a reason for them to have cast him in the film at all, you know? 
Okay, I'm I'm actually glad to hear you agree with that because their relationship that that you and I are in, in the same page. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I the the when I just rewatched this film, I'm like, oh, I forgot she even had a boyfriend. Like it's so not a part of the movie that it just means nothing. It's just like, why is it even in here? Oops, the chocolate is dope. <laughs> That's <laughs> So chapter heading of this particular trope, the uh, the mom character, the uh, the fish out of water character is accidentally dosed with a lot of weed in the edibles. And I have to tell you, Andy, this was subtle and disgustingly hysterical for me when they realize that they start getting high. The tricks that they did with the CG on the faces as they start looking at each other, making their eyes big. Yeah. Weirded me out. That was a great (laughs) effect. And I felt like I was high. Well, and it's, it's done in a way where it's, uh, it's not overly emphasizing it. It's just like slight Snapchat filters, you know, it's not very slight. It's not the big one where your entire head is just a mouth or something like that. And so I think that they did it right, where it's just, it's making it feel a little bit, you know, the world's a little kooky because all of a sudden everyone's eyes are slightly bigger. Uh, I thought it worked really nicely. And it is it is such a trope. And, it, you know, I they do play to a lot of tropes. But I think that, and this is something I think that worked with Colin Higgins when we were doing our previous series, is that when you're playing with tropes, if you do it in a way that, that you know, it, it can it can work still if you're keeping it honest and if you're you know just just playing with it just enough where the trope is there but it doesn't just feel like old hat and this give it's it is very much a, a trope but I feel like there's just enough there to kind of keep the comedy. There's a deleted scene where it turns out the owner of that apartment uh, also has like a collection of giant uh, spiders that actually get out. While they're doped up and <laughs> the scene where they're all super high and they're going around smashing these spiders. And it's a horrible experience for everybody. And I, I sort of regret that wasn't in there. I know that, that, you know, there's a certain amount of energetic balance and they're about to go destroy the wedding. But I kind of wish that that scene had made it into the movie. Uh, we've already talked about the slow oh motion God. destruction scene, but we do have sex in the stacks. That's a good one uh, for a, a college movie. I, maybe that's not a trope is is sex in the stacks a, a thing or was that just my college experience <laughs> you know i don't think sex in the stacks is a trope but i do think sex in uh you know interesting locations with new couples um that can be a trope in a film when you're kind of you know showing them you know hey new relationship they'll have yeah. sex anywhere anywhere you know? yeah. and, and that's exactly <laughs> what the trope is <laughs> Okay. Uh, And, you know, there we have, I guess, studying so hard. I I kind of wrote that thinking, you know, there's always the we have to interrupt you and go to the party thing. eh, It's not too tropey. The dark roommate. But it's tropey enough where I think in college films there inevitably there is going to be some sort of uh, thing in this type of film. And you can check me on back to the future, back to the future, back to school. Also, where they hit a point where they have to, you're going to have to have a montage or something's going to have to happen where this person is going to have to now all of a sudden try really hard to get through it so that they can actually succeed in their journey to graduate. What's interesting too about that is, and, and it's, and to that point, it is the, the, 
the student is going to have to make a choice, right? They're faced with this choice of, I'm either going to stay here and work really hard or I'm going to go socialize and see what shenanigans un- unfold before me. Um, and and that's what we have here. The, the thing that I think is interesting here is that she is already positioned as a top student, right? She kind of has it all. She comes back. She's welcomed socially. Her daughter's relationship with her daughter is is working. She's in the class experience that we get with her. She's in a class with a guy who was her peer when she was in college all those years ago and is now her professor. He likes her a lot, clearly has some sort of a crush on her. He's amazing. Uh, Mr. (laughs) Trurak, as Chris Parnell plays Mr. Trurak. And her academic challenge is only fear of public speaking, right? Yeah. That's a thing that she gets to get over. That's great. But there weren't any other like late night study cram sessions. We're going to help her learn everything about archaeology the night before the big test. Yeah. Uh, right. Which I, I thought that was refreshing that we we didn't get that. So. Uh, well, and I, I that's like the use of this trope is just the fact that she has to get over this fear of public speaking. And again, it's done. It's not too hard. Like we don't ever have to see her practicing or anything like that. She just goes in feels a little more confident now because she's gone through stuff and then all of her sisters her sorority sisters come in to be you know there for her and so and and even by that point even the mean girls are kind of like okay yeah she can do it and then like everyone's more confident now and it's you know it, it is one of those things where i'm like it's a little easy to kind of get through that but again i find it okay I kind of needed that to be easy because most of the story where the heart is is somewhere else in the movie. And so they need you need this to kind of get through here. The dark roommates, though. Uh, oh, the oddball <laughs> roommate. Um, uh, we already mentioned Heidi Gardner as Leonore or Lenore. Which can I just say she is like the the this generation's Lily Sabisky. <laughs> absolutely yeah now that lily is retired it's like oh yeah (laughs) there she is again yep there she is again well yeah i mean for every generation there can be only one (laughs) right (laughs) uh yeah i you know i thought she was great and um in, in fact i sort of feel like the movie pumped the brakes on the relationship between uh deanna and uh, Leonor, I, I expected there to be that transformation, that that was going to be the thing. Oh, my gosh, she's going to come out and get some vitamin D and all of a sudden she's going to be a beautiful princess. And I, I, I think they actually the relationship between the two of them, I think, was was right on uh, the money. It wasn't too much. Right. And it plays in just just enough to the the finish where I, I can kind of buy into the fact that, yeah, oh yeah, she's my cousin. You know, I buy into all of that that nonsense it just i don't know it seemed it seemed a little light but it still it still was fun one of them that i forgot to write in my notes is you know the best friend right the hero worship heroine worship here and mm-hmm. and i can't believe i didn't write this down because this makes this movie it, it it absolutely elevates this movie above everything we've already talked about it's maya rudolph <laughs> she is stunning in this movie. She is everything that I want. And I think that part of it, the reason that this movie works, allowing uh, Melissa McCarthy to be a little bit more subdued. Do you remember the Key and Peel? They did the the Obama uh, anger translator? Yes. Do you remember that yes. bit? Oh, yeah. Okay. So it's kind of like that, that <laughs> Melissa McCarthy got to be a little bit more subdued because 
some of that high Melissa McCarthy energy got to be channeled through Maya Rudolph. <laughs> it was used perfectly. I mean, from the racquetball courts, I will say that both men, uh, it, the husbands uh, or the the men who are waiting outside the racquetball courts were uh, both Melissa McCarthy and Ben Falcone's dads, uh, oh, and, which great. is which is fun that they got to to put those in there. And well, what works well for me with with actually a couple different couples is they create relationships that feel like real relationships. The way that Maya's uh, character interacts with her husband, I feel like, yeah, Frank, I feel like there's a real relationship there. Like they they say snarky things to each other, or she says snarky things to him, and he just kind of reacts how he reacts. They always seem to be wanting to have sex (laughs) in strange places wherever (laughs) they go. Like, I'm just like, this feels like a real relationship. And I liked it, and it felt... Uh, it felt like kind of a sloppy real marriage, just like we have the same thing with Stephen Root and Jackie Weaver as uh, Deanna's parents. I thought that was another couple where I'm like, I totally buy these as a couple, and uh, and I yeah, I mean Melissa McCarthy had uh, you know, Jackie Weaver kind of based on her own mother as far as like always making sandwiches and just like the solution to everything was the, why don't I make you a sandwich? You just need a little sandwich. Yeah. Like it, it was super funny, but, and that's why I love these couples. And that's what I really enjoyed about Maya Rudolph is because she's one of those actresses who can be a little much for me sometimes in this particular film. Like she feels like she's just perfect. And just the way that she and her husband react at the dinner when everything is revealed and they're like, this is the best night ever. I mean, it was just, it was, it was perfect. It was, uh, she's, she's great. We also have the girls, the, the crew, right? The sorority sisters. And they're all wonderful for me. Uh, Gillian Jacobs, uh, brings, her character from community Britta Perry and and makes her just uh slightly off center enough that I am just magnetically drawn to her when she's on stay on screen I just want to know what she's doing and often it is crazy and it's perfect I think she's so funny the fact that movie. she is coma girl yeah. I think that that makes that character work for me because it allows the kookiness to not feel too much in some weird way. I don't yeah, know. It's I, I, earned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's totally earned. Exactly. I, I, when I started, started the movie and they introduce us to her as coma girl and Leonore as the dark girl roommate, I thought that's going to be too much oddball for this movie. They have just <laughs> put a hat on a hat. And you know what? I, I think it played, I think it played well. Uh, did I miss anything? Well, we have the mean girls. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, we've got Jennifer doing the mean girls. It's nothing redeemable uh, as the campus antagonist. Um, uh, she is the, uh, good looking hater who pokes fun at everything about the mom and, uh, gives, uh, Deanna, you know, something to just bounce against. They do have a dance off, which is funny. Yeah. Uh, and so I, you know, it, it was fine. Well, I, I mean, just all of that. Yeah, it it all worked. I mean, it's it is a very tropey thing to do that. Even the dance off is almost a trope, you know, where it's yeah, like you got to right. have some way to show show up uh, the the other other people, and that's how they do it here. And I mean, Melissa's got her moves on her. She's great out there on the dance floor, which is super fun to watch. Well, and the setting is perfect because they staged the the dance off at the eighties dance. Yeah, eighties night exactly. Eighties night, and they great. all came in perfect costumes. They all show up as the as the Falcon Crest. 
team or Dallas. <laughs> Something like that. Was, she did. I love that she dropped the, I'm going to go find who out, who, who shot JR yeah. and nobody knew. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, oh. So uh, that was, that was all great. They're kind of the antagonists on campus, but it's a pretty small role. Really the film, and I think you brought this up earlier, the, the antagonist of the film really is her ex-husband. And it starts right out of the gate at the very beginning when he says he wants a divorce. And the way that that scene ends, just as a, as a footnote here, I just think is hilarious because she gets out of the car and he's left in it. And it, it just shows so much about relationships because his last line before the scene ends is great. Now I got to use ways because <laughs> he, he doesn't even know how to get home from there, which was just perfect. But just like the way that that divorce kind of, uh, you know, shaped or the marriage, I should say, shaped her life. And then the divorce allowed her to reshape it and just but still, it's just it's it's divorce. It's hard to go through. I mean, just watch Marriage Story and you'll you'll see. But it, it there's a lot of stuff going on here that uh, that kind of allows kind of. Um, him to continue being kind of an antagonist from the back, even even though it's kind of a distant antagonist. So it's kind of it's kind of a tricky way that the film is working the antagonist angle because he's there, he pops in, he's got the new the new uh, girlfriend. They're gonna fly off and get married using her airline ticket. He's got an earring now. You know, there's there's all these little things that keep happening that. It's it's an interesting way to kind of play an antagonist of the film because they're just not present. And I, I honestly can't remember back to school well enough. But did he have a direct antagonist who was a student or was it a faculty member who wanted to get rid of him? I honestly can't remember. I can't either. I cannot remember that movie. It's vapor. But I feel like it was somebody who was at the school who kind of represented either the authority or in some way they they represented the school and it was more about him being kind of you know fighting against the school in order to get through it or maybe it was just himself oh, gosh i really just can't remember i just know he had a really hard time he had to study at the end and and make sure he passed everything but or there were yeah i mean or there it was probably you know a, a sports ball team or a frat or well, he does, yeah because he does this he does the swimming thing i remember the oh, big diving right. yep, championship that's right yeah. he does the diving championship yeah so yeah, stuff Anyhow. I remember and stuff I don't. But um, yeah. So anyway, it's it's interesting that it's her ex that is kind of continues to be the uh, the adversary throughout the film because as you know, we said it's only the fact that she destroys the wedding that that forces him to kind of cut her off financially, and she doesn't have the funds anymore to finish school which leads them to kind of do this whole Christina Aguilera thing so that they can raise enough money for her to kind of continue, which, you know, it all seems a little wonky and when you say it out loud, <laughs> but, but that's okay. In context of the film, it ends up playing. And it, it just, it's, it's odd for me, I guess, that the antagonist is just her husband, but it ends up working. Yeah, I think it works for me, too. I also think, you know, we I, I don't think we can bundle all of that antagonism into the husband. You got to give some credit to Julie Bowen as Marcy. I think Julie Bowen is oh, terrific yeah. at, at playing those sort of type A personalities. And, and you know, she's been terrific as the, the kind of off the wall foil on Modern Family for 
God, 11 seasons. Uh, I, I think she's very funny in here. And the scene where they all go in for mediation with the attorney or is uh, is a real highlight for me <laughs> in this movie. All the comments have to go through the mediator. So they all end up just, you know, looking at the mediator and laying into her with swears and insults. And uh, I, I think that's a real high point for, for uh, Marcy's character. So you really Wait. fun. Yeah, and of course, uh, you get some some great little bits with uh, Christine there also, who doesn't really understand anything and is acting like an attorney for Deanna. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right, Maya Rudolph. Uh, court adjourned. <laughs> uh, okay, well, you know, Andy, in terms of, of what we get out of this movie, um, you know, I... I don't know if if we're going to call this. Do we call this a Ben Falcone movie? Uh, it's Falconian. It, it's Falconian. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, is it is it a Falconian film? Uh, well, does so, he get that credit, or or do we talk about them now only as a couple? They certainly seem to be kind of that way. You know, McCarthyconian. McCarthyconian. Ooh, oh, I like that. McConian. I like that. They. <laughs> They really do uh, work well together. And, and, and I mean, he's got a great bit part in the film, too. You know, he's been in a lot of films as bit parts with her, even when he's directing. Like, the first time he directed uh, with her was uh, Tammy, the film uh, four years before this. And then he did The Boss. And then he went and did this. He uh, produced The Happy Time Murders. Ta- Tammy's, Tammy's a 4.9. On the old IMDb scale. Tammy is, uh, it's number 10 on my list of 29. Okay. (laughs) I I would say by the time you get to about 15, it really starts dropping off. (laughs) It really (laughs) does. You know, she's she's got, I'd say, uh, right about eight movies that are, I'd say, (laughs) pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um, but yeah, he produced Happy Time Murders. He is directing and producing Superintelligence, which is coming out later this year. That's, uh, again, uh, their fourth collaboration together, uh, the two of them. And then I believe uh, Thunder Force. In that? James uh, Corden is... is in that one, too. Yeah, right, and then Thunder right. Force and then uh, Margie Claus, which is the one where she plays Santa's wife, who has to go, um, you know, he's in trouble somewhere and she has to go help him. Okay. So, yeah, they've got a number of projects that they're working on together. And it feels very much like it is a thing where it is the two of them now. And it, it feels like they're kind of a husband and wife team. She's doing a lot of her own stuff. He's kind of popping up and doing some of his own stuff. But I think he's hit a point where he's not acting so much anymore uh, in bigger parts. I think mostly it's just kind of small bit things here and there, and then he's directing and producing and writing stuff with his wife. Okay. So I guess it's Falcon, you know, uh, McCarthyconian. <laughs> I, I think that it really is kind of becoming that. So, so uh, yeah, we'll see how it continues as their, as their filmography grows together. Andy, I'm, I'll tell you, I am smitten by this movie. I, I've, obviously, I watched it with the kids. I can't wait to sit down and watch it with my wife. I feel like it was a real treat. Did Anybody else agree with now you and me? How did it do at award season? 
This is one of those movies that, uh, you know, you're not going to see at the Oscars, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> or, or maybe oh, a movie dear. like this. It's fine yeah. that it's not at the Oscars. It's just fine. It, uh, it did get some awards. Uh, it had two wins for other nominations. Um, it, uh, at the People's Choice Awards, Melissa McCarthy won for favorite comedy star for this film. But on the flip side, she also uh, won the Razzie in, for, in no. 2019. It's a shared Razzie for this and Happy Time Murders. So oh. it's, you know, I can understand it for Happy Time Murders. But, uh, you know, I struggle with it for this film. It really is sad. Um, it was nominated for Worst Film of the Year by St. Louis Film Critics Association. They really didn't seem to care for it very much, unfortunately. But the Teen Choice Awards, those teens, they enjoyed it. They nominated it for Choice Summer Movie and Choice Summer Movie Star, Melissa McCarthy. Um, did not win in either case, unfortunately. But, um, but you know, that's okay. They, uh, they decided Incredibles 2 was a little bit more of the Choice Summer Movie. They decided that Bryce Dallas Howard from Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom was the choice summer movie star. But the one that uh, I enjoyed the mo- most of all the awards that uh, that happened here were, was from the Alliance of Women Film Journalists. Oh. This, yes, this one was for the category The Actress Most in Need of a New Agent. <laughs> <laughs> She was nominated uh, for the for that <laughs> terrible category because of Life of the Party and the Happy Time Murders. They actually say everything except "Can you ever forgive me?" So at least they liked that one. But <laughs> <laughs> but in fact, she lost to interestingly enough Jennifer Lawrence from Red Sparrow, which uh, I didn't see, but I was like, really that that didn't uh, strike them as something that was an okay wow. uh, J Law film. And I think it's telling that everything except can you ever forgive me is the thing that they call out because it just it it really demonstrates, I think, how, um, you know, how she's her brand of comedy might be just plain misunderstood. Well, and I think that she's okay going broad with different things. I mean, she can do very serious projects like Can You Ever Forgive Me? while also doing something that is a little more endearing like Life of the Party while being very tropey and, uh, you know, kind of over-the-top fun. And she can also do something that's really over-the-top and raunchy as all get-out like the Happy Time Murders. So I, I think that she's just somebody who's like, you know what, I'm going to have fun. And, you know, if it, it may not all be uh, award-winning material, but I'm going to enjoy what I'm doing. And that's what I think she's doing. How about at the box office? Did it make any money? Well, the Falcone McCarthy team, or the, the McCarthyconians, or whatever we decided <laughs> to call them, uh, they got a $30 million budget to work with, which is pretty much the same in today's dollars, just being a 2018 film. The movie did open May 11th, 2018, opposite Breaking In, and it ended up earning just over $53 million domestically and almost $13 million internationally, for a total gross of about $67 million in today's dollars. That puts the film at an adjusted profit per finished minute of about $350,000. I feel better already. Here, here. Nice pick, Andy. I felt guilty, I still do, but man... I have a lot of fun with this one. Yep. I just love her character and I just really I enjoy laughing as loud as I do when I watch this movie. Yeah. 
Me too. Uh, well, that takes us to, uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is risky, but it's time for us to take it to Flickchart. Oh, dear. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see all the movies we've talked about on this very show. If you swipe over and tap the word Flickchart, it should take you straight to this movie in the Flickchart database where you can add it to your list and see how it stacks up against ours. Now, Pete, this is my guilty pleasure. You do realize that I am not always going to pick sane choices because there are times when I will gladly take this film because I can laugh so much despite its uh, its tropiness and some scenes that don't work so well over something that is uh, probably or likely the better film but might be not as fun to watch. So just be aware. I that's feel a coming. like. It is, it's weird that you feel like you need to justify that with me after Hudson Hawk last yeah, week, right? <laughs> but okay, man. <laughs> oh, All right, first up, Life of the Party or The Lion in Winter. I'm going Life of the Party here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know that you are, and I'm going to give that to you. I, you'd be surprised just how well Life of the Party did on my own chart. I can't wait. Oh, my God. Second choice. <laughs> <laughs> this is This is actually... The perfect culmination of everything that's oh, going no. on with the Guilty Pleasure oh, series. God. Here we no. have Life of the Party or Hudson Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> guilt against guilt. <laughs> Holy cow. Oh my well, God. That's I know atomic. how we're both gonna vote. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's just uh let's just do it. <laughs> oh man. Okay. All right, we gotta get, already take it to the yeah. mat here. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. 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 One, one, two, two three. Scissors. Rock. Rock. Scissors. <gasps> oh. oh! You finally God. won again, Pete. It has been weeks. Oh my God, that was amazing. I'm shaking. <laughs> I, I tell you, I don't agree with it, but I'm totally okay with it because <laughs> it has been an awfully long time since you've won. Quite a round. drought. Uh, all right, Life of the Party or Apollo 13? I got to go Apollo 13 here. Seriously? Yes. I'm surprised. I mean, no, no I, I agree. I'm going to do it too. <laughs> I just... I, I like Life of like, the Party a lot, Pete. But it's, but it's but when you 13. put Life of the Party against... I just want to know. I just feel like I, I need to get my worldview in order that Tom Hanks is still above Melissa McCarthy. In some films, he's also... He has his own... <laughs> Happy Time Murders, <laughs> <laughs> way down at the bottom there. <laughs> okay. Oh, Apollo 13. Uh, right, Life of the Party or Inside Man? Inside Man. A little Spike Lee action. Yeah. Ooh. You know, I want to say Life of the Party here, but I'm okay going either way. I mean, it's in, I said Inside Man, so yeah. if you're okay, then I'll I'm give you okay. Inside Man, yeah. All right. Life of the Party or The Natural? Okay. I, uh, boy, I enjoy life. The, the, the natural, you know, the, I will always have my weird, <laughs> the natural story that always, it, it makes my brain kind of spin sometimes when I think about that movie. I enjoy it quite a bit though. So you're going to go. The Anyone natural? who wants to know what I'm talking about, you can go back and listen to the episode. Yeah, go where back we talk and about to the episode. Uh, I would say life of the party here. I know I'm probably wrong, but I don't, I don't think you're wrong. I, there's no wrong, Andy. 
just like there's no wrong regarding 2001. You can make whatever choice you <laughs> want. And you're you. healthy and out. strong. It's oh. fine. I am going to choose the natural, but I want you to know that it is an unaffected choice. I'm doing it for the fans. <laughs> Not All me. Right. It's, the, it's fans. the fans, right? All right. Yeah. Well, let's do it. Ready? All right. Uh-huh. All right. One, one, two, two three, three, scissors, paper. Oh, wow! Two in a oh, row, Pete, Andy. This could be it for you. All right, Life of the Party or Chronicle? I haven't talked about that one in quite a while. I'm gonna say Life of the Party. I will give you. <laughs> <laughs> life of the party. Surprising no one. I'm going to say life of the party. <laughs> Life of the Party or a more recent pick, Autumn Sonata. I will say Life of the Party. Yeah, Life of the Party. Wow. That's one of those cases where I'm yeah. like, yep. I know Autumn Sonata is a better film, but that's okay. Yep, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Life of the Party or Creep Show. Oof, boy, I sure love that one. I'm going to give you a Life of the Party. I, uh, I'm tempted to say Creep Show here. Okay. Oof, I'll go either way. I, I want to say Life of the Party because of recency, but I'm like, gosh, I might still prefer Creep Show here. Arr. I say Creep Show. <laughs> okay. I'm all over the place. Okay, here we go. All right. One, one, two, two three. three. Rock. Oh, look at that. Creep Show wins. Are you? No, it doesn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting so confused. How are we doing over there? I don't even remember the rules anymore. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> this is just, this rock, paper, scissors thing is just getting too hard for me. I just can't handle it anymore. Holy cow. All right. Life of the Party takes it. And uh, next up, uh, this I think will be our last one. Life of the Party or High Noon. I'm going to say Life of the Party. I don't even know what's real anymore. <laughs> Life of the party or high noon. Ugh. I had so many more issues with high noon on when we talked yeah. about it. So I probably owe it a rewatch to bring it back up a little bit. But right now, Life of the Party. Okay. All right. Life of the Party. Well, that lands Life of the Party one spot above High Noon on our chart in spot 206 out of 438. Not, uh, you know, it it didn't ascend quite as high as uh, as yours did, but that's because they came head to head and I lost. So yeah, there you was, go. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? But I, I will say I'm... I, I'm so pleased with this movie. How? Where do you have it as a guilty pleasure on your own chart? Uh, you know, it's really hard when you're ranking guilty pleasures against better films. Like, I mean, Autumn Sonata, when that came up here, I have to put this above it because I just uh, will enjoy this watching. I'll watch this a hundred times before I watch Autumn Sonata again. It's just that's how that how that falls sometimes. This film landed at, uh, gosh, I can't even read my scribbly handwriting. This film landed at 241 out of 4,285, which is a 94%. I can't can't say that that's likely the 241st best film that I've ever watched, but it speaks to how much fun I have watching it. So, yeah, 
Well, I can't say it crept that high on my own list. Uh, it did out of 1,434 movies. This one landed at 347, which is a 76%. Uh, if I'm to go by the algorithm over at letterbox.com, Flickchart says that should be a four-star experience. Mm-hmm. And? You know, let's just say it starts with a heart. It definitely has a heart. <laughs> The question is, like, when I first finished the movie, I finished the movie and I said, that was a solid three and a half star experience. I really enjoyed it. And it comes completely off the rails in a way that wasn't completely satisfying at the end. The Christina Aguilera thing just shaved off a full star. I was like, meh. (laughs) But as usual, you know, we have these conversations and your enthusiasm is contagious for it. And um, I really love that I won all those rock, paper, scissors. That's not an insignificant component here. Uh, And so I I wonder if I should just leave it right at a straight four star. And and it's a a movie that I really enjoy. And I think people should watch with fresh eyes. Maybe I should be that guy. Well, I am that guy right there with you because I definitely give this a four star. I, I do have issues with it. It, it, you know the the some of the sloppy uh, screenwriting that we talked about over the course of the episode. You know it 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 stumbles a little bit for me, but there is so much heart. There's so much just uh, earnestness and honesty, and her character Deanna is just just so great and in like every scene that she's in it just works so well and when the comedy hits it just it is hitting so high for me so um so four stars and a big old heart for me i love it yay okay yay that was two guilty pleasures that succeeded Huzzah. So, uh, okay. So after, now that we've done this, I don't think you spilled the beans, Andy. We, we talked about your bottom uh, list of Melissa McCarthy movies. How did your top five end up? Okay. So this, like I said, it's not at the top, but I still really like this. So top five Melissa McCarthy films, starting in spot five, The Heat with Sandra Bullock. That was a pretty enjoyable little movie. Okay. Number four, Can You Ever Forgive Me? She was great yeah. in that, and it was a great movie. Number three, Life of the Party. This is where that one lands right there. Number two, Bridesmaids. I think that's just a fantastic film, and she is hilarious in it. Let me just say, I'm super surprised that's number one. What could possibly be number one if it's not Bridesmaids? If you haven't seen this number one film, you absolutely have to check it out. It is Spy. And what a frickin' hilarious spy movie it is. And just enjoy the movie and then watch at the end when Melissa McCarthy and Jason Statham are just playing off each other and in their bedroom scenes in the in the kind of the bloopers in the end credits. So frickin' funny. Okay. That's absolutely my favorite of her films. I haven't seen it. Oh, watch it. It's so funny. <laughs> okay, noted. Melissa McCarthy, Jude Law, Rose Byrne, Jason Statham, uh, Bonnie Cattavalli's in it, Alyssa Elson Janney. Uh, it's just, it's it's a great, Marina Baccarin. Okay. Great All cast. Right. All yeah. right. All right. 50 Cent it. pops up. Fitty. <laughs> He's in it. That was fantastic. Now, uh, that's the end of our very short uh, 2020 Guilty Pleasure series, and that leads us into something new. Yes, this is exciting. We are going to be doing a little bit of French crime films, which uh, is kind of an exciting little stretch for us. We haven't really dabbled with this at all, and so it's going to be exciting to see what uh, films we end up looking at. We have a few films lined up to discuss. We're going to be looking at the films Le True, 
Rififi and Les Samurai. I, I think this is a great trio of films. Uh, and I, I should say that if, you, if you're watching along or if you're listening along with the show and you haven't seen these films, some of them are a little tricky to find. Uh, That's so, the unfortunate part, yeah. Yeah, it is. Specifically and, and, Le True, our first Yeah, Le True was tricky. And so if you haven't gotten that on your uh, list to get from your local library, make sure you do that. It, it, it makes a tricky start to the series, but it's a film worth hunting down if you can find it. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah libraries sure. are great resources for things like that. Very excited to take that on, Andy, when the movie ends. Our conversation begins. Amazon giveth, Andy. <laughs> As Amazon always doing. <laughs> you okay. I just found a weird review, and I, I just, I think I would have to drop mine just to do this one. Oh, <laughs> okay. You want I mean, whatever, you think is, whatever you think is best. Sure. Why don't you uh, go this, ahead? This, this is, uh, it's the most peculiar re- review I've come across, and I feel like I just need to do it because I was not expecting this, and I almost lost it just reading this. <laughs> this is a one-star review by Tiffany. Uh, Her review is such. My one-year-old purchased this movie trying to play Baby Shark while I was using the restroom. (laughs) We have no desire to watch this movie, but for whatever reason, Amazon won't cancel it and give me my $14.99 back. Hashtag pissed. (laughs) Baby Shark. No, she didn't Oh gosh! Oh. <laughs> well, oh, thanks, I Tiffany's one-year-old for that uh, one. I don't. I noticed you didn't bring your Amazon party friend to do your review. Oh, did I, I forgot? I but forgot. It's okay. I mean, maybe he just sometimes he doesn't show up. I guess that's right. I mean, that's fine. Sometimes, sometimes he's not there. I had a. Uh, I I actually went over to the Common Sense Media to see if the kids had watched this movie because <laughs> you know mine had and they had a, a good opinion of it and uh, I did find one uh, aged uh, twelve plus and this is a three star review. It is a three star review. It says this is a great comedy movie. <clears throat> this movie is about a mom that never got her high school diploma because she had a baby. Her husband dumped her and she got encouraged to get her GED. This movie will make you laugh. Does have minor swearing, but nothing too crazy. A woman hit in the crotch with a ball during racquetball. Physical comedy of Deanna falling, being hit with a paddle during sorority initiation. Drunk high women destroy a wedding reception hall. Two young women get in a fight. They push, hit, and pull on each other. An older woman was caught kissing an underage man. Words like shit, shit show, son of a bitch, ass, (laughs) asshole, pathetic, shut up. What the hell? Damn. Mom boob. Loser. And oh my God. Overall, this movie ended on a good note. Great story with comedy. I don't know if I would watch it again, but I just love it for the comedy. Recommend it for ages 12 and up. (laughs) Well, thank you, young Werner. (laughs) Young (laughs) Werner, indeed. What a list of profanities cataloged there. I mean, really did the work. Oh, I had and to I mute worry myself on a, that one. I worry a little bit that 
loser is categorized later than some of those earlier uh, <laughs> words. <laughs> Young Werner, oh. indeed. Oh, my God, Andy. I guess, right? Oh, my right? God. <laughs> oh, wow. On the upside, this, this title contains uh, positive messages, positive role models, language, along with drinking drugs and smoking and sexy stuff. So there you go. There you go. Read I like it. my mind, Common Sense Media. And thanks, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.